All right. So um, basically about the breath, um, the breath is used as an anchor to develop a skill. You can think of the breath as the beginner's first one kilo dumbbell. <laughs> and that dumbbell, you can put it across the room or just lay it down in front of you and watch it. <laughs> I guess, right? Huh? You could. Right. What, and, and in fact, uh, it will become uh, boring very quickly and you'll notice something else. And off the mind is gone from that dumbbell just laying on the floor. Plus, while it was laying there, you're not getting any benefit out of it other than watching yeah. Okay. In that regard, we can think of people who say merely watch the breath. That's about what value they're getting out of it. And the thing <laughs> that's interesting is, is that the mind will run away. Because it's got nothing to, uh, uh, let us say, to hold on to, literally. Right. All right. So the whole point about uh, understanding or noting or watching or specifically doing the long breath is that every time that you breathe in, that's a point of sati because you have to know that you're breathing long. You intentionally right. breathe long and then you intentionally breathe out long in the form of a sigh. <sighs> because that sigh, that re out breath can be the relaxation. Just relax, okay? Let the breath be uh, part of the whole process of uh, developing the skills that when we bring these things together, uh, it has two labels that we put on it. One would be the unification of the mind or right uh, area samati, sama area samati. And we can also call it the first jhana. So we're actually practicing and the result of the practicing and developing these skills is gathering the factors together. And so we want to be uh, in the position of being able to gather those factors together. And going back to the analogy on the dumbbell, that's not actually doing any value when it's sitting there on the floor. <laughs> Holding the floor down. Uh, I don't think the floor needs any help. Gravity oh, okay. has already done all of that. <laughs> <laughs> but I got your joke. All right. So this is an, um, a major important point uh, that we're actually developing sati. So every time that you note that you're taking an in-breath, that's a point of sati. Every time that you're noting that you're taking a long, deep out-breath, that's also a point of sati. Okay. So within an in-breath and an out-breath, that cycle is two opportunities for sati. And this is the primary skill that we want to develop. We want it to be there when we need it most. Okay, yeah. just when we need it the most is when we want to remember it 
like when I've just begun to get angry or I'm, I'm about to open my mouth and yell at someone. Okay, that's a good point to remember <laughs> to wake up and take a deep breath. There are other times when, uh, uh, and actually it's kind of like Murphy's Law. Do you know Murphy's Law? Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay, what is it? Um, I think I saw this one of your videos the other day. <laughs> okay, so you Whatever, know the answer. Uh, Whatever can go wrong will go wrong, and then the part that you forget is at the worst time, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. So sati will forget, but we need it sometimes. A lot of times it's okay to forget it, but there are times when we really need it, <laughs> and that's why we want to develop it so it will be there when we need it most. And so there's a lot of things that we can do within the practice of Anapanasati or even in just in general in meditation is to wake up so that we can make choices about this present moment mm -hmm. throughout the day. So you've got it. That's the reason why we're developing Sati and we're using the breath to do that now. It's also uh, a very good idea, and it's well known. Uh, I think you even use the word is to play, to play with the breath. Like it was a toy, like a child is playing with a toy. Well, guess what? When a child is paying, uh, playing with a toy, you can bet your booties that he is paying attention to the toy he's playing with. So if you're uh, uh, wanting to de uh, develop a child's attention, give him a, uh, a fancy toy to play with. <laughs> yeah. Okay. We don't think about it that way because of our Western upbringing. So in fact, we do want to have the breathing as um, the foundation of the practice. That the interesting point about Anapanasati is that of the 16 stages of Anapanasati, the body, the feelings, the mind, and the mind objects each have four steps of Anapanasati. They're called, they call them tetrads. Okay. I don't know why, because it would seem like they would be quadrads. But anyway... <laughs> um, um, that each of the four steps or each of the four foundations of mindfulness have four steps of Anapanasati. The first one is the body, and it has four steps associated with the body. And with the long and the shorter breath that we use um, with Anapanasati, that's the one that it's talking about in the sense that you've got to watch, you've got to be uh, mindful, you've got to, uh, to be there for it, you've got to see it and understand it, okay? Of the others, including two of them in Kaya and all of the others, or two of them in the body, all of the other 14, the verb that's used is train. Okay. That's an important point, that you don't have to train to breathe. You've been doing that your whole life. 
what we have to do instead is to watch to make sure that it's long and uh, uh, long on the in breath and long on the out breath. All of the other factors of um, uh, Anapanasati use the verb to train, skill development. These are all skills to be developed. And the first skill to be developed, which is also not the name of Anapanasati or the Satipatthana, but is also Sati is a factor of the Eightfold Noble Path, and it's the number one item on the Sambhojana. Sati, 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 Sati. Everything is about Sati. And when we merely translated it as mindfulness, we miss the power. Mm. The power of the Sati is to wake up, to remember to wake up, to really, really take a look, to investigate. And so it's a skill to be developed as well as the skill of investigation. A really easy way of, of looking at that is the difference between Dr. Watson and Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> what was the difference? Sherlock Holmes had trained himself to investigate. Right. To look at everything, right? And to put things together. Well, we're going to become a Sherlock Holmes of your own home. <laughs> <laughs> And it's a skill to be developed, but that skill cannot be developed unless you remember to develop it. And so we're actually going to start the investigation process with the sati itself, that the first thing that we do is we wake up. And the Goenka talks about it in the sense of if the mind has wandered away from the breath, never mind, start again. He's talking about actually step nine of Anapanasati there as we investigate what the mind is doing. Is the mind watching the breath or is it not watching the breath? If it's watching the breath, then that's what we're intending to do. But if, we, if the mind wanders away and we wake up and recognize that the mind has wandered away, then go back to the breath. Now, really, if we're just watching the breath, without actually working with it, then it's really easy for the mind to wander away. It's got no reason to stay on the breath. Yeah. But if we're actually doing something with the breath, making it long, making sure that we have a really uh, interesting out breath. Trying to imagine actually, an interesting out breath and what that means. <laughs> <sighs> that was an interesting out breath. All right. Playing with them and make them make the breathing interesting. Noticing what you're doing. Allow yourself to feel good from the new energy intake because you're breathing more and also that the breath, the exhale, is a purification process. It not only exhales carbon dioxide, but a lot of other really microscopic, uh, literally microscopic, broken down molecules of larger amino acids. The components as amino acids are, and, and the whole reason for an amino acid to ever been put into production is to break it down at a later time. And so 
uh, adrenaline and cortisone and all of those kind of chemicals, as well as the pollutants that come out of the muscles that, it, that in fact, um, just as an example, you've got two alligators wrestling. How long are they going to wrestle? <laughs> Until one, uh, I don't know, if they get too tired? Uh, now you've got it. Until they get tired. And the one who gets tired first is probably the one who gets bitten the hardest. Because while he's tired and the other one's not, guess what happens, okay? So basically what we're talking about is, is that muscles in all of the species, I mean, alligators got muscles just like we got muscles. And that the same chemical reactions happen in those muscles. So as we're exercising muscles, there is burn-off or ashes that get part of the pollution. What the researchers have found, it is not the muscle gets tired, it's that it gets polluted with its own garbage. Mm -hmm. And it takes a little bit of time for the blood to come in and clean that out. Well, guess what the blood's going to do with it? Breathe it out, I guess. Some of right. It. Either that or the kidneys are going to do it. Right. And if we're not breathing right, that means the kidneys have got more work to do than needed. But if we're breathing really well, then we don't give the kidneys much work to do. All right. And also, the breath generally takes care of the really tiny little things anyway. Because of the way that uh, the lungs, the bacilia, and all of that are, are built. But the okay. point is, is that if I can get you um, interested, curious, um, uh, inspired would be the good word to start inspiring yourself and expiring. Uh -huh. <laughs> okay. To get that inspiration of how important the breathing is, that the breathing is really an important quality of Anapanasati. That, I mean, it's named for that, for one thing. Yeah. But then the next point is, is that if we have long, slow, deep in-breaths and out-breaths, that means, in fact, we have plenty of time to do a lot of other stuff during that breath. Hmm. And that's where the rest of it comes in, in the sense that in the Anapanasati Sutta, every item that's listed, the predominant part of what is said about it like sukha, for instance, is to develop sukha, develop, to train, to train in sukha while we're watching the in-breath and the out-breath. So we also gladden the mind while breathing in deep and breathing out deep. Right. Okay, and we investigate the mind. What's okay. the mind doing while we're developing uh, the, uh, the investigation of the mind? Guess what else we're doing? We're, t we're watching the breath as it comes in and as it goes out. So the training is, is that how much can we do or what big kind of juggling act can you do to be able to watch your breath, Watch your feelings and 
watch your thoughts and watch the Dhammas as they parade in and out. While you're breathing in and out each breath, Mm. there's a lot to do in there. Okay. (laughs) And so we begin to train in the beginning of merely watching the breath, but very quickly there, the students begin to notice all kinds of other things. An example is if the mind wanders away, well, part of the while when it was wandering, it was tugging to wander. It had been tied to the breath, but now it's trying to, to pull loose and then it does pull loose. The Buddha actually used the analogy of a horse that's tethered or and also in another sutta or two, I think, that he talks about um, training um, elephants. Hmm. And that while the, uh, the, the elephant is tethered, he will work to try to get it free. It'll stand on three legs and maybe even lean over and support himself with his trunk while he's got that left hind leg up in the air, back and forth and back and forth, trying to knock that stick down or loosen those vines or ropes or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then off he goes. But the mind, like the elephant, always goes back to its favorite place. That the elephant uh, trainers many hundreds and uh, maybe thousands of years ago figured out that if they uh, tie an elephant down, the elephant's going to get free. But when he does get free, he's going to go right back home again. And so all they have to do is just go get him. They know where they caught him. That's where he's going to go. Why? Because that was his watering hole that was his friends or mm-hmm. his family everything so he's going to go home and so they chase him down and they go get him and they bring him back and they tie him up again time so we have to know where home is well they caught him the first time but that's part of what you're going to do and we'll talk about it that in a second but first let's look at the point that eventually the elephant will settle down and stop trying to roam so much. Mm-hmm. So as you begin to train with sati, you also begin to train the mind that is easier to just drop whatever it was that the mind was calling home right then or wherever it wanted to go. That we generally have from time to time it changes. In fact, it generally changes depending upon whatever task we have. Let us say that you have an argument with someone. That will be the home of the mind for a while, to go back to that argument over and over and over and over again, right? Um, If you um, are planning to uh, have a conversation with your boss or worse still, a presentation in a meeting, then that will become the home and the mind will keep going back to it. And every time it does, it's going to give some bad feelings about it. Trepidation, fear, all of that. When we do that, it's better to actually be in a state of peace. It's going to be much better to handle that conversation with the boss if we're relaxed and joyful than if we're uptight. And it doesn't matter about how much we know the information. That's almost irrelevant. (laughs) but it has to do a lot with our attitude. So basically that's what we're training for is we're training the mind to have the kind of attitude of life that you want to have. 
Or another way of saying it is, is that you can begin to train yourself to feel the way that you want to feel. Right. As opposed to continuing to feel the way that you trained yourself to feel when you were a child. <laughs> or another way of saying it, basically, is, is that um, you talked yourself into feeling bad for your whole life. Now it's time to talk yourself into feeling good. That sounds good to me. Well, that's a, that has that whole quality of meta, though, if you think of it. <laughs> okay. So, um, an example of this, and I uh, actually have another student who's going through this because of, I won't go into any details, but because of the culture he's in and because of the situation that he is in, in the, in the living situation, his mother needs some compassion. Mm. And he's having trouble bringing it up. Okay. He's having trouble having compassion for his mother. He's having trouble having mudita for his father. Why? Especially when his mother and his father are at each other's throats. Right? And so he wants to trickle off. So this is a really excellent example of going back to our favorite topic of where the Buddha is talking about, yes, metta, karuna, mudita, upika, good stuff. But how do you train the mind for these things other than just merely wishful thinking? How do we do that? The training of it, in fact, or the training for metta, to have a mind of metta, to have a mind of compassion and sympathetic joy, if you're going to spread sympathetic joy, or if you're going to spread joy sympathetically, where does it come from? You've got to learn to manufacture the stuff. Yeah. Right. That's what gladdening the mind is all about, is it, it is a skill to be developed. A beginning to have happier thoughts. To gladden the mind, to brighten the mind. All right, so each one of these aspects of Anapanasati, and by the way, uh, gladdening the mind is step 10. If you want, we'll go right through the numbers. Step one is long breath in and out. Step two, the short breath in and out. That's a bit of advanced technique. Step three is understanding the body, to know the body, that to train yourself to experience the body. Number four is to relax the body. This cannot be done alone. You do not experience the body and then relax it. The relaxation happens in combination with other things. That this is not a step one, you do it for three years. Step two, you do it for three years. Step three, you do it for three years. Step four, you do it for three years. And after 16 times three, 48 years, you wind Gosh, up. Gosh, am I going to live that long? <laughs> <laughs> no, you're going to only live long enough to do all of it all at one time. And that's all we need to do is we got to do this stuff together. And that's what makes it even more of a training. Mm. So the training is is to know what needs to be done. So now step four, step five is to train oneself in the experience of being elated. The experience of being a winner. Cop dog. I could do it. That's pity in the poly. 
Step six is sukha, to train the mind into sukha, into relaxation of the mind so that the body can be relaxed, to come into a state of well-being, satisfied, free. <clears throat> Step seven is a big deal, and that is, is to maintain that sukha is to start guarding the mind and watching the mind for what, in other words, you sustain it. All right. And in the process of being able to keep that sukha and that pity going, which step number eight then is to see the relationship between the body, or excuse me, between the mind and the feelings. To hook up to recognize that feelings is nothing but a different kind of thought. But it is a thought. It's a nonverbal thought, but it's thinking. Anything that we're actually watching or paying attention to, you could say we're thinking about it. So instead of saying I'm thinking about my breath and then having a mental image of it, lungs or a chest going in and out up there in my mind, no thinking about the breath means I feel it. I feel the coolness and it comes in. I can feel the various parts. Hmm. So we begin to recognize that the feelings and the thoughts and whatnot are deeply interconnected. So that in fact, you can cheer up and gladden the mind. You will cheer up and gladden the feelings also. It just works together like that. Like I said, you talked yourself into feeling bad a long time ago and then continued to do it. Now you can talk yourself into feeling really good. So, step nine then of Anapanasati is in fact a new investigation. That step seven was an investigation, and step three was an investigation. We wind up finding that, wait a minute, each one of these four of the, of the tetras has at least one of them in there that is investigation. Now step nine is, is to notice the mind. Investigate, but not what the contents of the mind are, but rather what's the state of mind. Mm. All right, is it sharp? Is it focused? Is it relaxed? Is it uh, 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 capable and fit for work? Is it dull? Is it really sharp? Is it sharper than usual? Mm. These are the kind of things that we begin to notice what the mind is doing. And uh, in fact, we can do that relative to whatever task that it has at hand. For instance, yeah, I can watch the breath. The mind is pretty sharp now. I continue to do that. But generally what happens is, is that when the mind wanders away and the student wakes up a little bit to see that the mind has wandered away, that's when the dukkha comes. Mm -hmm. Oh, poor me, I can't do this. Oh, I have doubt about whether it's any good or not. Or maybe I need a new book or a new teacher or a new <laughs> method or a new something or another because this ain't working. The better thought would be, oh, I caught you. Aha, uh -huh, I see you, Myra. I see you, wandering mind. And then we start again. Yeah. Now, that first one, that first example is what we normally do. We normally catch ourselves doing something wrong, and then we feel bad, and we try to hide it, try to ignore it or go away with it, or get away with it. 
what we're going to do now is relish the fact that we can see this stuff happening. Because it's been happening all along. <laughs> yeah, I think I've made some progress on that front. I think now I'll kind of just start laughing when I notice that it's been wandering. <laughs> yes, uh, exactly. I, I see you now. Uh-huh. Yeah, pretty much. All right, so this is where we develop the joy. The joy is in the ability to wake up and to see what's going on and to play with the breath and to make sure that the body is oxygenated and that it's getting purified with the breathing. And so you can see that this whole practice comes together. Um, you could you could also uh, recognize that when we see the mind is wandering away, that's also step 13 of Anapanasati in the sense that now we're seeing the changes. Everything is constantly changing. Mm -hmm. So we begin to bring in that quality of it, that this is, this is a process and everything, all of, the, all of this clock, even though we have the old style clock that only once a minute, you can see that minute hand go jerk. You used to have IBM clocks that were like that. And then one minute later, no movement at all. And then all of a sudden, jerk. <laughs> <laughs> but believe me, inside that clockwork, there's a whole lot of stuff going on. Mm -hmm. And so we need to look under the surface to recognize that, um, that mindfulness is not just that jerk that happens, but there's a whole lot of other stuff that's going on under there. So that like the tugging to, you were talking about? Mm-hmm. Yes, and we'll get into that more when we start talking about Petitya Samupada and the drive that we have from feelings. Okay, that those feelings will drive us, but right now what we need to do is we need to get to the point of recognizing it doesn't matter what all of those bad feelings that have been there all along and how we're going to deal with those bad feelings as they arise. But right now, we're actually going to practice feeling good. We're going to start telling ourselves wonderful stories about how marvelous I am. <laughs> you can do it. Get up out of the dirt. <laughs> you know, <laughs> pick yourself up, dust yourself off, and boogie on down the road. We don't have to lay in the road having our own pity party. We can get up. And so this is a, uh, uh, the, the quality that we're looking for in meditation. We're not going to go deep. We're going to go bright. Mm. We're going to be here now. We're going to really notice. And part of the process of that is also coming out of our heads into our sensory awareness. And for the sitting practice, we're going to mo mostly concentrate on the sensations of the body. Okay. The rising, the falling, the touching, and the sitting. These are all step, uh, 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 basic steps of Kaya Nupasana. The rising, falling, touching, sitting. You probably heard those four words used before. I think so, it's yeah. Mahasi's trademark. <laughs> yeah. All right. So that's where we begin, but basically by watching the rising and the falling, we're beginning to take the mind out of the past and out of the future and into this present moment. Right. 
And so this is what we're doing in, in general, is when we get up from the cushion, we want to be able to then broaden that momentary here now awareness into the other senses for walking meditation and uh, uh, whenever we're walking around we begin to start noticing things we begin for instance to put more attention on our hands when we're sitting in meditation the hands are basically not doing anything but during the day our hands are quite active and so we should begin to watch what the hands are doing Mm. When we're going to the bathroom or eating or uh, moving around or touching something, picking up something, these are all points of, uh, that we can use for mindfulness so that we begin to bring the mindfulness up during the day. And I've got some really hardcore techniques that we'll start using soon. But okay. just to get you with the idea that throughout the day, the more often that you can wake up, and take a deep breath and gladden the mind. Say that you could do, say that generally what happens when people start practicing, they do maybe 20 minutes a day. And when they get hardcore, now they're up to an hour a day. Except if they're actually up to an hour a day, that means that now the hindrances are totally in charge only 23 hours a day. <laughs> as well as the fact they've been the boss all along. So do you think in an hour a day is going to be that much of a value? The hindrances awesome. still have a lot of momentum there. <laughs> right, exactly. And so we need to start figuring out ways of breaking that momentum quite often. To break up that momentum, to come back to the present moment many times during the day. So you could plan on maybe once an hour. That's a whole lot better. And then maybe once every 30 minutes, you stop and you take a deep breath and you say, wow, what a nice 30 minutes I've just had. And the next 30 minutes is going to be okay too. Uh, and so we can look at it like that, that every <clears throat> short period of time, we're actually going to uh, spend time waking up and doing the same little process that we've been doing all along that has to do with the Kaya Nupasana, the Veda Nupasana, the Dhamma Nupasana, and the Chitta Nupasana, what we've been talking about. The, the, so we wake up, we take a deep breath, we talk ourselves into feeling good, we feel good, we relax, and then we go back to whatever we were doing with a heart full of joy. And if we need to be compassionate, in that next moment, we've got now the tools and the skills to do that. Mm. So this is how we practice. We practice so that we develop the right kind of attitude so that then we can, in fact, treat the world with metta. We can treat the world with compassion. We, can't, we can treat grumpy daddy uh, with Mudita and be joyful with them. So we're sort of building a platform of our own joy to stand on from which we can help other people. Or, yes, exactly. Or let us even go so far as to call it a, uh, it, when I was a kid, they called it a steam shovel. Now I think they call it a backhoe. Okay? Right, I know what you mean. Yeah. All right. 
we're not going to be delivering our joy in a in a teaspoon. <laughs> we're going to use a shovel. <laughs> All right. Which means which means we need a big supply of it. Now, one of the ways of looking at that, and this is actually quite an important point, and you can see this in general, just in general, if two people are fighting, the guy who goes to break up that fight is more than likely going to get hit. <laughs> if he's right? in the middle of it. <laughs> if he, because he's in the middle of it. This is what Mudita is all about is walking in there to break up a fight knowing that you're going to get hit. You got to keep going. You can't just get hit and say, oh, you know, and this is exactly what happens in the beginning. Oh, I've got a great big smile for dad and dad gets grumpy right back and then I'll just slink away. <laughs> okay. No, dad gets grumpy. I get happy. Dad gets grumpy again and I get happy again and he gets grumpy again and I get happy again. And now beginning very slowly after taking a few hits, he begins to not fight back so much. Mm. All right. So we have to have a lot of it. That's what I'm talking about. That steam shovel is right. because yeah, it's going to we're not going to get our way just because we're happy. Not when we're dealing with grumpy. It may take you 20 or 30 minutes to calm somebody down. <laughs> when they really go after it. And it certainly doesn't help if I'm not calm while I'm trying to do that. <laughs> Pardon? I said it certainly wouldn't help if I'm not calm while I'm trying to do that, you know. That's exactly the point. That's why we have to actually have the training of the mind before the metta, not during, because that's not the time to, and we try that. That's why, that's why metta, karuna, mudita, and upeka fails, is because the people who are trying to practice it don't have the development. They don't have the skill. Mm. And here's how we get that skill. If we can do it for the inside of our own mind, when our own grumpy mind comes, if we can chase that out and get really skilled at it, then we can chase grumpy out when somebody else is determined to remain grumpy. But we have to see that grumpy first. We have to be able to catch the grumpy in ourselves and, and bring it out. This is why... Um, it's good for people to be a bit playful with each other. And I'm not talking about um, uh, monks running around the, the watt with their arms screaming uh, in the air and, and playing that. But rather that uh, part of the Sangha is, is that we're honest with each other. But we can be playfully honest, and this is what I'm getting at, okay? That we can playfully work with people to bring them out of their misery. By sometimes just pointing at it, especially if you already have that going. Like, my, aren't we grumpy today? <laughs> and so... Um, Another one is to point out the behavior 
without attacking or pointing out the person. Right. An example when someone is lying to you. And and basically, the better you get at skilled at telling yourself the truth, the better you will get at being able to determine when someone's lying to you. Hmm. Especially okay. if you study it a little bit, because there's a lot of gestures and facial reactions and things like this. A clear example, if somebody starts doing this, they're lying right then. <laughs> <laughs> Another one is to try to get you to agree with them while they're lying. Mm. Watch. That is a sure sign that somebody is telling you a lie because they want you to nod your head in agreement with them. Right. They want you to mirror them or something. Yeah. Right. They want you to mirror them. Exactly. So uh, once you begin skilled at telling a lie, you still can't do much about it. Depends upon the relationship. One of the things to do, by the way, is just to walk away. But you can also confront them in uh, with a with an easy question, in the sense of, "Are you sure about that?" <laughs> Many times, people will back right off. All you have to do is, "Are you sure about that?" Mm. And they'll <laughs> say, "Well, I'm done." <laughs> <laughs> Give them an opportunity to rethink. Mm-hmm. Exactly. But if you call them a liar in the beginning, all oh, they'll get really defensive. You're not getting anywhere that way. All right. So this yeah. is a part of what we're talking about is mudita and karuna that we have to understand human nature when we apply it. Mm. Okay. That that uh, the four Brahma Viharas are not a sitting on the floor practice. These are out in the world practices that we right. have to be prepared for because we have the skills to put that stuff into use. And so Anapanasati is that skill that the Buddha is talking about and that the four primary skills are the four uh, first items of the Eightfold Noble Path of right view, right sati, right effort and right attitude. That basically that right attitude, that's the big training. Mm. Is to train ourselves into having the uh, the right loving attitude. And so we use the breath as an anchor with that all along. So the gladdening of the mind, in fact, people, if they're doing metta correctly, they're doing step 10 of Anapanasati. If you're actually um, uh, looking at it in the sense that all beings are already happy, well, isn't that nice? <laughs> That's a really joyful thought to have. If you can be honest with yourself. <laughs> okay. So that's what we're, we're getting at then is just to bring in a really valid, honest joy. And that's a skill to be developed. Mm -hmm. Once we understand that, then we can say, oh, because I thought that it, there may be levels of joy or whatever, uh, from a smile to elation, uh, or even highfalutin words like bliss. But basically, 
we need to look at it differently from that in, in the sense that it's just not something that's there with these varieties, but that we need to investigate, manufacture, build up these various kinds of joy. Hmm. So that now you're becoming an expert at understanding your own joy, just like you're becoming an expert of understanding your own body through watching it. Right. So we develop that. In fact, we can say that sukha and pity are a continuum. Yeah. yeah. All right. And that the continuum uh, is that they both have a whole lot of things in common. One of the things they have in common is um, safety or security, no fear, there's no, no, no danger, that we feel completely okay right now. And they both have that quality. They also have the quality of uh, satisfaction and that it often, uh, we can use that in the sense of uh, contentment. Yeah, okay. Okay. And satisfaction, contentment, security, safety, these are the things that are actual sukha that we can relax into. But pity is the process of the relaxation. Hmm. Pity is the excitement of the winner. Let us say that you're a football player and you've just now made a touchdown or whatever your game is. There's the elation in that. This is when the uh, the pro will spike the ball and jump up and down in the air. But what happens next is a group hug. Even the people in the stands. It also happens at New Year's. Hmm. When the ball drops and it comes to zero, everybody shouts, hooray, hooray, hooray. But within a few seconds, then the music all anxiety, everybody is hugging and rocking back and forth in satisfaction. So these are natural things that humans do. But do we have to go to a New Year's party to get it? Do we have to go to a football game to get that? Gosh, I hope not. <laughs> I hope not, but that's why people go to those things. It's because they don't know how to uh, to build that up and manufacture those feelings for themselves. And so that's why pity is so strongly associated with right attitude. Hmm. The right attitude is, bang, I got it. Ah. <laughs> so you can see that kind of one-two punch, that step five and six of Anapanasati. Okay. And uh, um, it's sort of like a meal then. You can say that the pity is eating it and then the sukha is when you can push the plate away hard enough. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. And so uh, these are skills to be developed. And with that development is also the development of one's right attitude so that we know that we can do this. We keep practicing it over and over and over again because that is a success that keeps happening over and over and over again. And we build up the confidence, I can do this. And so we come out of that loser's attitude. 
into the winner's attitude. And you did, most people don't even understand that this is actually the teaching of the Buddha. This is what the Eightfold Noble Path is all about, is getting that right attitude because in, so, in doing so with these other skills brings about unification of mind. The mind becomes unified. It becomes whole. Right. Just as these factors of uh, Anapanasati, when put together, bring about first jhana which is a state where the mind is, in fact, whole. Why? Because the body is relaxed. We feel satisfied and content. We feel successful. I mean, this is a nice state to be in. <laughs> but then the cherry on top is that now the mind, because we're well energized and focused and watching what's going on, this is what Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa calls a mind that's fit for work. Right, right. The mind is fit for work. And what is it going to be fit for work? What work do we have? Step seven of Anapanasati. That's the step where we're going to maintain this. And we're going to make sure that the mind is going to stay in a wholesome state. And not allow the mind to wander away. And so that there's a kind of a two-step training here, this training to quickly and easily get ourselves into a happy state mm -hmm. and then to maintain it. Okay. These are the two things. And so uh, the sati, to wake up, to investigate, to throw that crap out, to gladden the mind, to become satisfied, and to, to know that we can do it. And these are the steps that we find right there in Anapanasati. They're all right there. <laughs> but they're not done in order. Three years for this one and three years for that one. And, you know, that, that's not the way to practice. It's, it's okay. the unification and bringing these things together. And so, joy. Bring yourself some joy. Enjoy. Make life with joy. Have a happy life, easy going, relaxed. And it's also in, the, in this, this case, we could call it fearless. Even though the word fearless has a big, big thing to it. But uh, uh, we can look at it in an easy way in the sense of, yeah, everything's okay. There's nothing, pro no problems. Let me pun hard. No problems, no worries. That's the state of peerlessness. Right. <laughs> In Pali, the word is uh, baya. And the word for peerlessness is abaya. In fact, okay. there is a baya giri. Giri is the hill is the word for hill. So Abaya Gary is fearless hill or fearless mountain. That's okay. the name of a wad in California. Oh. Achan Pisano, I understand, is now the abbot there. Okay. <laughs> so becoming fearless means basically that uh, there is nothing happening. There's nothing. 
No events? No events. When the mind is in that state of balance, when it's in that state of upeka, then the rocking back and forth of the events we can handle so well there's nothing going on. That's exactly right. That's how all of this stuff, if you see, it just fits so together. It's just a tiny little thing, this Dhamma. We can say it in three words. <laughs> Dukkha, yeah. Dukkha Naroda, yeah. That's it. That's what the whole practice is, is seeing the Dukkha and throwing it out. <laughs> coming to a state of no Dukkha. It's very simple when you put it like that. It is. It really is simple. But it goes back to the way that it was over and over and over again because of the habits of the mind. Yeah. It's going to return. Wakey, wakey. <laughs> <laughs> okay, do you have any questions about this now? Because this is just a repeat of what we've talked about before, but we're going at it at a slightly different angle getting you up to the point that you have the attitude, I can do this. Right. Give you the inspiration to do some inspiration. Yeah, I think I'm I'm uh, understanding the importance of the joy. Um, one sort of random particular question I had, um, I'm always interested in increasing my practice time, and uh, I don't like sitting down all day because I do a lot of that because I'm studying uh, pretty much full time. So I was, you mentioned the walking meditation earlier, and I was wondering if you had a technique you like about with that. Uh, I've heard some ones that seem pretty boring, but I don't know if you have an exciting one. <laughs> yes, I do. Walking meditation is best done barefoot. Okay. Not with shoes, with real feet on real ground, because then you really have to watch where you're going. It's a major sati builder. <laughs> you can even see when people are skilled at it, they can run, but they're still watching where they're going. Right. But people who get shoes on, they get a false sense of security with the shoes, and then they don't watch where they're going. They're liable to step on anything. A, a way that you could actually say that is, is that shoes is what we use to have no compassion. Hmm. What do you mean by that? You can just walk all over anything if you got big boots on. Yeah, usually. Yeah, that's what hmm. the whole point about boots. Boots are made for walking, and I'm going to walk all over you. <laughs> okay. Uh, um Gestapo and armies and all of that have heavy footwear. That's true. Right. There's a that, nice quote. Is it George Orwell? Uh, do you know the one I'm talking about? No. I think he says, if you want to imagine the future, imagine a boot stomping in your face or something. He's okay. talking about dystopia. And that's your boot for you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That's the whole point. So going in exactly the opposite direction is let's learn to go barefoot. 
so we can tread easily on the ground. Mm. That people do begin uh, through, and then in fact, um, there is a particular time of day when the monks do go barefoot intentionally. When is that? When they go out for Pendabat. They go out barefoot for Pendabat. It's got various functions to it, but one of them has to do with the monk's got to watch where he's going. <laughs> got to pay attention. You got to be here now. Right. Also, the, the lay people, they understand that as a, um, um, let us say, a point of humility. Mm. But really, the point is, is to watch where you're going. So this is what I would say for, uh, for uh, also, whatever posture that you're in, notice your posture. When I say posture, I'm talking about the proprioceptic sensing system or in the rising, falling, touching, sitting, it's the sitting. That when you're sitting, you know you're sitting. When right. you're lying down, you know not only are you lying down, but you know what posture you're in. Okay, so beginning to note the postures, especially when in walking meditation or when you're just moving around, the posture of the body changes. For instance, when you reach for something. The posture of the body changes when you sit down. So beginning to be mindful of the postures of the body will help uh, sati to begin to wake up. Yeah. To note what you're doing. Uh, this also uh, follows along with restraint. Hmm. That if we become mindful of what the body's doing, then we're unlikely uh for the arms to fly around and so we can actually that's one of the ways that you can tell about how far a person is along in their uh uh skill development hmm. is uh how active or not they are generally with their hands now it's okay from time to time to get excited and to talk about something like that but I'm talking about the kind of hand movements like, and, you know, those kind of things. Scratching and rubbing your head and uh, uh, doing things that we do mindlessly. Normally, they're very fast. Right. But we can do things and slow them down. So that's another aspect of walking meditation or just being around the house is slow your movements down. And then later we'll give some uh, some deeper pointers. But you were asking about walking meditation. That's the number one thing about it. Now, I know in the Vasudhi Maga and therefore in uh, the Burmese and uh, Sri Lankan way of doing it, when they talk about walking meditation, they go all the way down to up, lift, forward, touch, down, and other things like that with each step. But um we're looking at a kind of a walking meditation that you can do when you're walking not a meditation that is stylized that you go off and say okay now i'm going to go over there and do walking meditation right but to get over there i'm going to walk and to come back i'm going to walk but while i'm over there i'm going to do a walking meditation okay you get the idea? No. We're going to be doing it if you start to walk barefoot. 
then every step you take barefoot should be a walking meditation. Now, here's one of the side benefits of that. People who are skilled at walking meditation, they tend to move around quite silently, even though they're not sneaking up on somebody. <laughs> but that happens a lot. If somebody can be washing dishes and somebody just walks up behind them and they look and they say, the face is just right there. What? Where did you come from? Well, I walked <laughs> in here. This is where they got the idea, I think, that monks can fly. Is because they walk silently. Uh. Why do they walk silently? It's because they're watching what they're doing. They're watching where they're going. Makes sense. <laughs> it does. Okay. So that's the answer then is you're practicing with meditation for walking. Then start walking barefoot. Yeah, I think I can do that in the house. I usually wear just socks or something. I don't know if that's... I can just take my socks off, I guess. You can but take the socks off, and you can go out in the yard too. I don't recommend riding motorcycles or going to town. And then, in <laughs> fact, in some places, it's even against the law in America to to, to drive a car barefoot. Yeah, that's, I think uh, that's only in the deep south. Okay, <laughs> that's a strange so, one. What's that? Well, I don't know why that's illegal, but whatever. <laughs> um, well, there's two different. It depends upon uh, uh, the circumstances. One one of the answers to that is, oh, that if you've got real shoes on, then then uh, it's more solid and firm and you can operate the vehicle better. Oh. But in the South, there's a secondary reason for it. And it's What's racial. That? <laughs> oh. <laughs> there are racial rules for it. Okay. Our reasons. Um, then, in fact, that's what in South Carolina, especially, South Carolina is really, really big and tough on having automobiles inspected. Mm. You know why they started having such strict uh, inspection laws for automobiles in South Carolina? It just takes part of the traffic off the road. <laughs> I see. Mm -hmm. Oh, you can't, your car won't pass that inspection. <laughs> Walk out of here. You can't drive it. You know, that's the way that they uh, have done things. But anyway, back to the barefoot. No need to tell you when you're walking barefoot that you need to start watching every step. Watch where you're going, plan it in advance. That's mindfulness. Yeah. So you don't have, so there's more and more opportunities for you. Because I'm staying around the house most of the time, I can go for probably as long as two months without wearing shoes. And That's certainly no, no more often than uh, once occasionally. Whenever there's a reason to go to town, that's a reason to wear shoes and a shirt. Other than that, no shirt, no shoes, and no service. <laughs> You're living the uh, natural life out there. Yes, yes, I recommend it highly. <laughs> no problems. <laughs> no, no service, no problems, yeah. <laughs> ah, exactly. No shoes, no shirt, no service, no problems. <laughs> Very good. <laughs>
So what do you think? I like to run fairly often. I don't know if I would want to run with no shoes on just yet. Um, do you think it makes sense to like watch the breath while you're running or something? That would be something to do as well. Uh, if you can, but don't be hard on yourself when you find it too much to do. Okay. That in fact, if you're running, more than likely after you start running, unless you're really good at long distance running, you'll begin to pay attention to your breath automatically because your breathing demands it. Yeah, probably. <laughs> mm -hmm. As for running barefoot, I would say that that too will be a skill to be developed, to start off slowly. Mm. Also, you can, you can uh, practice running uh, in an area that you've already policed. So you would police that area like, because they do that in Thailand all uh, anyway, uh, at many of the kutis or the huts where the monks stay, there'll actually be a designated walking place back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. Okay. Uh, so you can do that same thing with, with running to practice running barefoot. Hmm. Um, and so that would be a way of, of doing it is getting used to running barefoot in a place where, you know, is safe. Okay. But you, uh, to be out running in, uh, let us say, um, unknown and therefore unsafe territory, you have to have subsati. You have to look where <laughs> you're going. You have to be, um, let us say at running speed, you need to plan 10 steps in advance. Because it takes a while to stop or About the, dodge something. Right, right, exactly. Or to step around something. Yeah. So that would be a skill to be developed. Makes your mind sharp. All right. If you can go around running barefoot, then you can handle people when they get angry and you can give them some mudita. <laughs> <laughs> That sounds good. Because you got it. All righty, Brian. Well, this has been a really delightful chat. I've enjoyed. Yeah, thank you very much. Okay. Well, we'll see you soon because there's more to talk about. But when you ask questions, I've got answers for you. That's perfect then. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll see you later. Okay. Thank okay, you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.